We are glad that you are listening to this audio recording produced by All Things New Church of Birmingham, Alabama. For more information regarding the ministries of All Things New Church, please visit us online at www.allthingsnew.us. I want you to listen to this passage of Scripture from Acts chapter 13. And I want you to imagine the kind of relational pain that must have happened 2,000 years ago as this was going on. Now, there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, a member of the court of Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid hands on them and sent them off. Now, as all things new, as we continue to seek the will of God in a disciplined way, fasting, worshiping, as we continue to do this, one day the Holy Spirit will direct us to lay hands on our friends and to send them out. And it's going to hurt. Saying goodbye always stinks. When it comes to that moment, our selfishness and our fears and our insecurities and all of that is going to rise up and present itself to us. But we've committed ourselves already to this course. It's right there in our purpose statement. We exist to spread the gospel across Birmingham and across the world. And, and it's in our five ministry front that, that we've kind of been working our way through faith and work, mercy and justice, community formation, worship and evangelism and church planting. Now, if our church exists for the shalom of this city and the world, then we're going to follow the spirit. But if we see this community as existing for this church, then we are going to resist the spirit. And we're going to have a lot of excuses. And they might be relational or they might be fears or they might be insecurities. Church planting always means losing friends. Losing friends in the sense of getting to do this with them. Losing friends in the sense of losing contact and geography beginning to separate us. It always means saying goodbye for the sake of the kingdom. Now tonight, I want to lay out the three primary reasons that our church is committing itself to the pain that is inevitable by saying church planning is at the core of who we are. So... First, if you've got your Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 28, and let's look at the passage that Heather read to us. Matthew chapter 28, a very famous passage, verses 1 through 10 and 16 through 20. Now, I want us to look closely at the final few verses, verses 19 and 20, where Jesus says, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, 
teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. In the original language of the New Testament, there is one command in this verse. There's only one imperative. It gets kind of um, skewed in English, but the only imperative is make disciples. In fact, you could put an exclamation mark after that. All of the other verbs are ing verbs. They're participles. They're verbs that serve the main verb. Make disciples. That's the main verb. Now, when do we make disciples? As we are going. How do we make disciples? By baptizing and teaching. That is the method for making disciples. But, and this is the critical part for us to understand. Matthew, who recorded these words, and the people who were reading what Matthew was writing, they understood baptizing and teaching as a command to plant churches. They understood baptizing and teaching as belonging to the local church. Now, we know that for a lot of reasons, but let me just show you one reason that we know that. And you don't have to turn there, but it's when we turn to the book of Acts. You can think of the book of Acts as a historical record of how those disciples interpreted those words. Jesus said it at the end of Matthew. And then Luke said, and here's how they understood it. Here's what they understood it to mean. And he wrote the book of Acts. And what we see in the book of Acts is very simple and very clear. They went from city to city, planting churches that planted churches. That was their interpretation of Matthew 20. Christians would find their way, either by persecution or by voluntarily going, they would find their way to the largest city in a region. They would plant churches there and then move on to the next city. And this is clearly the model that we find throughout the New Testament. You don't have to do a lot of Greek. You don't have to do all of these word studies. You just take the end of Matthew and you say, how does the whole New Testament show me what this means? So the first reason that all things new is committing itself on a basic level to church planning. The first reason that church planning is a fundamental, non-negotiable of this church is because we love God. And we want to obey him at whatever the price. We want to obey his command to make disciples in his method. Which is starting churches. Now, this is a shift for some Christians who interpret Jesus's great commission in terms of I have a burden to share my faith personally. I'm deliberately saying that that is important. And it needs to be on the radar, but it is not what Jesus was talking about primarily. And we know that only one reason we know that we could look at others because of how the church interpreted that command. Now, you might say for many people, their main problem with Christianity has far more to do with the church than it does to do with Jesus, right? The whole idea of church, for a lot of people who don't go to church, it's either irrelevant or negative. We've talked about this. It carries overtones of pompous, arrogant, hypocritical people, a bunch of bureaucratic institutions that are doing nothing but protecting the status quo. So surely, 
some might say, it's not very smart to promote the spread of Christianity so closely linked, at least in America, to a hypocritical institution. Since it's possible, and we all know that it is, to become a Christian without a church, then shouldn't that be our focus in this context, helping others become Christians despite this broken institution called the church? Let's turn to our second passage of Scripture, Ephesians chapter 4. Thank you, Haley, for reading to us. In this passage of Scripture, in Ephesians chapter 4, we have the image of the church. Now get this, and if you write in the margins of your Bible, this is a good phrase to write in the margin around Ephesians chapter 4. The church is our mother. That's what Paul is saying. In Ephesians 4, the church is a mother who nurtures us and teaches us and loves us and protects us. Listen to this chapter. Listen to these words with that in mind. Listen, verse 8. When Christ ascended on high, he, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts. Now, what, was, what were the gifts that Christ gave in his ascension? Verse 11, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. God gave gifts, these people, why? To equip the saints for the work of ministry. This kind of plays off of what we talked about last week. The gift of a teacher, it's God's gift to, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. But get the next phrase. For the building up of the body of Christ. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith. And the knowledge of the Son of God. To mature adulthood. Manhood. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So that we may no longer be children. Tossed to and fro by the waves. And carried about by every wind of doctrine. Notice. He didn't give you the ability to have a quiet time. So that you could become mature. Right? He didn't give you these. He gave you these gifts that you give to each other so that you can become mature. Rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ from whom the whole body joined in together and held together by every joint is equipped when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now, In passages like this, and there are many of them in the New Testament, we see that committed participation in a local congregation is essential to becoming mature in Christ. In fact, it's these passages that cause the earliest church to coin kind of a little phrase. God is our heavenly father and the church is is our earthly mother. Just one example. In the third century AD, there was this bishop in North Africa. His name was Cyprian. And there was this kind of renegade bishop named Novation. And Novation had left the church. Now, he was not unorthodox. He was teaching right doctrine. He wasn't teaching anything that was um, wrong. And Cyprian wrote a letter that we still have a copy of. And in this letter, he makes a very famous statement. He said, look, Even though Novation is saying the right things about God, 
And even though he's not teaching anything that's bad or wrong, it does not matter. He is not a Christian who is not in Christ church. He can no longer have God for his father who has not the church for his mother. Now, that's strong language for Protestants, right? And this view of church was definitely picked up and it has definitely been abused. In fact, by the time we get to the Middle Ages, this little statement of Cyprian has been quoted and quoted and quoted and turned into this dogma that's used to stifle any kind of dissent and to maintain a monopoly on power, right? If you buck the system, if you disagree with the priest or the bishop, bam, you're out of the church. And if you're out of the church, you're damned to hell. So we're deaf. I'm not saying that we're going to go there, but I'm saying we must be honest. You cannot find a single place in all of the Bible where church is just the plural of Christian. In other words, the Bible does not support the idea of hanging out at a cafe and talking about Jesus And that qualifying is church. When you have two people at Starbucks having a conversation about God, it's nice. And they may be Christians, but it's not a church. Nowhere in the Bible are we allowed that view. Now, surely the God who made the aardvark is creative enough and powerful enough to have set things up differently. But he simply did not. He designed things. It is in the grain of the universe. So that we cannot grow up into maturity. Apart from a local church. Now to be honest. If you commit yourself to a local church. There's going to be hell to pay, right? You will suffer. You're going to suffer maybe in some ways you never would have even suffered if you hadn't committed yourself to that local church. The church will fail you and frustrate you. But that doesn't change anything. Even in the midst of failing us and harming us, she will bless us. A living, breathing congregation is the only place that you can live out a healthy relationship with your creator. That's what Paul is getting at in Ephesians 4. Because a church is the only place on earth where Jesus has committed to dwell. So how can you enjoy the benefits of Christ if you detach yourself from the living Christ? Now, That's the second reason that we are committed to church planting. Because we love the church. And we understand her role in God's creation. And scripture and history teach us that strong gospel-centered churches are the womb in which new Christians are conceived and brought to birth and nurtured, and cared for, and protected, and brought to maturity, even though there are some exceptions. Now, let's turn 
to our final passage of Scripture and see the third reason that we are committed to church planning. Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. As I listened to this passage, commonly called the parable of the Good Samaritan, as I listened to this passage this week, against the backdrop of church planning, it kind of shifted some things for me. At the end of the story, Jesus asked this, his questioner, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell in among the robbers? And the guy answered Jesus, the man who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, you go and do likewise. The third reason that we must commit ourselves to the hard and painful work of church planting, whether it's in Peru or here and over the mountain, is because we love our neighbors and we have heard Christ say to us, have mercy on them. We have heard Christ say to us that we must prove our love by putting our resources on the line for their need. New churches are the best way to reach people who are not in church. Dozens of studies have confirmed that the average new church, okay, the average, there's some above average and below, gains most of its members, its new members, 60 to 80% from the ranks of people who are not attending any worshiping body. On the other hand, these same studies indicate churches that are over 10 to 15 years of age, 80 and plus percent of their members, new members, are transferring from other congregations. So if you do math, that means that the average congregation, that's a new congregation, over the course of its life up to around five years of age, will bring six to eight times more new people into the body of Christ than an older congregation of the same size. Now that's kind of across the board, whatever denomination you're looking at. Tim Keller, a pastor in New York, asks the important question. He looks at that data and then he asks this question. So what does this mean on a practical level? If we want to reach our city, should we try to renew older congregations to make them more evangelistic, to get them to attract more people? Or should we plant lots of new churches? And then he goes on very perceptively to say this. It's a false either or dichotomy. Of course, we should do both. However, despite the occasional exception, the only widespread way to bring in lots of new Christians to the body of Christ in a permanent way is to plant new churches. So he gives a helpful illustration. Suppose you've got three towns, town A, town B, town C. They've all got 100 churches of about 100 members each, okay? Town A, none of the churches are under 15 years of age. They're all 15 years or older. Town B, five of the churches are five years of age and under. They're, they're new church plants. Town A, no church plant, new church plants. Town B, five of them are baby churches. Town C, 30 of those 100 churches are under five years of age. Okay, three towns, 100 churches in each, 100 members in each church. Here's how it shakes out based on the statistics. 
Town A, with all of the churches over 15 years old, statistics indicate that the overall number of active churchgoers will shrink every year. Town B, 100 churches, 100 people. Five of them are baby churches. And let's suppose a few of the old geezer churches um, are hot, all right? They're attracting, they're reaching out, okay? Statistics indicate that as year by year goes by, that town will stay the same with regard to the number of new Christ, number of total Christians in the population. Town C, 30 of the churches are less than five years old. Here, the overall number of active church growers will be on a path, the statistics indicate, to grow 50% in a generation. See, it's not about how many churches are in a town. That's, what this, that's what's deceptive about Birmingham. It's about how many new churches are in a town. So let's bring this home. And let's take our community, the over-the-mountain community, Mountain Brook, Homewood, Vestavia Hills. We have approximately 84 churches in these three communities. Only six are under 10 years of age. All Things New, Cabo Park Presbyterian, which meets in Mountain Brook High School, Christ the King, St. Peter's, Liberty Crossings, and Church of the Highlands. All right? Only six. In order to reach a new generation, and in order to reach the large numbers of people in this community who don't go to church anywhere, there needs to be approximately two new churches in this community every year. Look at it this way. Could it be that the significant increase in the over-the-mountain area, in this area, of a public Christian presence and influence that so many people have noticed over the last decade, could it be it's because of those six new churches? Could it be that the impact on the kingdom of six new churches are what have contributed to what so many people are commenting on about the kind of ratcheting up of the Christian kind of grit In this community. And if that's so. What if it had been two per year? What if it had been 20? I'm basing this figure on another statistic I didn't give you. That says in order for any area to maintain its Christian presence. That area of churches must start 1% of its total number of churches. They must start that many new churches in any given year. In order to maintain. In order to grow it must start 2 to 4%. So that's where this two per year is coming from. And that's just here. Play it out around the world. It's the same, the exact same. So what I'm saying is that we will endure the pain and suffering. We will fight our fears and our insecurities. We will say goodbye to our friends over the years because Jesus has taught us if we love our neighbor, we'll give our resources. To meet our neighbor's need. And our unchurched neighbors. Have a six to eight times greater chance of being reached. By new churches. Than they do by existing churches. So. If we just take the parable of the good Samaritan. And Jesus were to ask all things new in the years to come. Who loves their neighbor? 
you go and you do likewise. Now, we love God and we want to obey him. We love the church and we understand her God-given role in, the, in our faith. And we love our neighbors and we want to give them the best chance there is to know their creator. For these three reasons, church planning can't be a pipe dream for us. It's got to be reality. And it can't be a when we get to a certain size kind of dream either. And these churches that we need to plant, they cannot look like us. They, they cannot because it takes all flavor of churches to reach a lot of different kinds of people. We need Presbyterian churches and Catholic churches and Lutheran and Baptist and Pentecostal and Independent and Methodist and just on down the line. We need all of them so long as they're gospel-centered. And by that, I mean three things. So long as they, they, they are committed to the idea that salvation is by grace through faith in Christ alone. Number two, that Jesus is the king of all of life. And you don't just divide him up into some little private realm. And number three, so long as they have a gospel humility, humble enough to partner with others and to share resources of people and money for whatever God wants in his kingdom. I'm saying that if a church has those three things, we're going to partner with them. It doesn't matter what their middle name is, you know, First Baptist Church or First Presbyterian Church. We don't, that doesn't matter. If a church has those qualities, denominational labels cannot matter to us. And it's going to be hard. But what I'm saying is that our church must not only talk about the kingdom, we must do the kingdom. We must lay our lives down out of our love for Christ, his bride. In our neighbor. And if we have a tribal mindedness or a turf consciousness, it's going to be revealed on this issue. If our focus is the tribe, then when God sends out somebody, when God calls Robert out or me out or anybody in this room out, if our focus is on our turf, our tribe, then all we can see is that we're losing people. Numbers are down. Giving is down. Paul and Silas, no way you can't have them. We need them. Look at our agenda. Look at our plan. But if our focus is on the kingdom then all we are is an offering and God can burn us up on the altar any way he chooses. This church is his. And if he wants it for five years, he's got it for five years. And if we go six, we are wrong. It's his. It belongs to him. We serve Christ by serving this community and this world and not by serving ourselves. So my question for you at the end of all of this is to bring it to a very personal level. Are you and your family willing to obey Jesus' command to go wherever he wants you to go, to leave whoever he wants you to leave? Are you willing to obey his final command to make disciples in his method by planting churches? Are you willing for God to work through you to replant the gospel in the South and to plant it for the first time around the world. Now, that's a question every one of us has to face up to in the privacy of our own walk with the Lord. And if you know that you couldn't do that, 
that you couldn't move, that you couldn't leave friends and go into a scary small church plant, if you know that there are criteria on your walk with the Lord, then let me just encourage you. Tell that to God. And to ask for his grace. And to ask for his mercy. And to ask him to give you the faith to trust in him. To trust your life in his hands. And to ask him to open your heart to his spirit. Because that's the only place you'll find life. You won't find it anywhere else. Our church is going to find life by dying to ourselves. And living to our, our God and loving his bride and loving our neighbor with our resources. Let's pray.